You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. We're in full gear. We're kicking it up a notch. Seven days away from the start of the 2017 college football season. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Talking a little Heisman Trophy 2017. We're going to talk about Penn State and James Franklin, Rich. Saquon Barkley, quarterback Trace McSorley. Both of these players can be Heisman Trophy contenders, legit contenders. They have the schedule that really could play in their favor for the upcoming year. Yeah, I mean, there there aren't many teams that have two legitimate Heisman contenders. Saquon is, what, uh, 15 to 1. McSorley is a little higher, I think, about 30 to 1. And I, I think that's where they belong. Maybe they... They sort of take votes from one another. That's a possibility. Uh, Trace McSorley's got to have his go-to receiver loses. Chris Godwin gets back his tight end, Mike Kosicki. There's a whole host of young receivers like Jawan Johnson looking to fill that void of Chris Godwin. In terms of Saquon Barkley, I think it's fair to say, and I'd like your take on it, Joe, I, I think when you talk about the best player in college football, regardless of position, Saquon Barkley is absolutely in that discussion, and when we go through our mind, we think about the the annals of all those great running backs at Penn State over the years, the Curtis Enuses, the John Capalettis, Franco Harris's. I think after this year, Saquon Barkley may elevate to be considered the best running back in the history of Penn State football. Wow, that's I, I love Saquon Barkley. I'll say that I think he's a legitimate Heisman Trophy contender this year. He's at fifteen to one. He rushed for fourteen hundred and ninety-six yards, eighteen rushing touchdowns. They utilized him in the short to intermediate passing game. I like Penn State. I mean, they're my pick to win the Big Ten, Rich, and I think both of these players will step up. I like them over Ohio State and Michigan. And it's not just the offense, though, Rich, why I like Penn State. I mean, Penn State's defense last year really buckled up in the second half of the season. The first seven games of the year, they allowed 203 rushing yards per game. In the last seven, they only allowed 99 and a half rushing yards per game. As long as the defense progresses throughout the year, they're going to have a lot of opportunities opportunities to score points and I'll say this about Saquon Barkley the best overall running back in Penn State history you got Larry Johnson uh, Kurt Warner Mm -hmm. DJ Dozier and one of my personal favorites he's also a friend of the show Eric McCoo back in the day in the early 2000s and late 1990s Blair Thomas Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I don't That's tough, Rich. I will say this in terms of best overall player in college football I think him and Darius Geis are the two best running backs. I'm not so sure mm-hmm. about the best overall play. I mean, oh, that's that's a tough. How about statement. top ten, Joe? Would would you say top ten? Without top a doubt, 10 in college football, I think Saquon Barkley is top ten. Yeah, yeah, but definitely top ten, definitely without a doubt. Now, are you you would buy him at fifteen to one? Because I would. Now, Trace McSorley at thirty to one. I would. Yeah, thirty to one. I mean, his reads and progressions got much better. His mobility as a pocket passer too uh, was a main reason why they made it to the Rose Bowl. When we come back. We'll be continuing the conversation about Penn State. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
Impact on college football today, live from Studio 34. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, kicking around some Heisman Trophy 2017. We were talking about Penn State and Saquon Barkley and their quarterback, Trace McSorley. We're going to keep it where it is for a little bit. Rich, I really like this team overall. Outside of Heisman Trophy, uh, both of these players, I like this team to win the Big Ten overall. I think they're the more complete team over Ohio State and Michigan. I know you don't see it that way, but you still think that they could be a, a contender in the conference. There's no question about it. I, when, when you look at it from 30,000 feet, Joe, Penn State, you know, we know what happened earlier this decade, the off-field issues, the scandal, the resulting reduction in scholarships and how hard it hit that program and that community. After a few years with James, Frank, James Franklin, who's now entering his fourth season, you know, this team is finally starting to look like a legitimate Big Ten program. They have the bodies, they have the talent, they have the offensive line, which was missing for such a long period of time. I think this will be the best offensive line we've seen in Happy Valley in quite some time. Now, I do have some question marks. You know, the secondary loses John Reed. That hurts uh, during the offseason. Uh, I, I want to see pass rushers develop. They're going to need some, some new young blood creating pressure off of the edge. Offense is going to be absolutely dynamic. Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator, back for another season. So, yeah, I I think for people who thought last year was a one-hit wonder, a fluke out of Penn State, couldn't be more wrong. Now, they do have to travel to Ohio State. The Buckeyes obviously are going to have revenge on their mind. October the 28th should be a fantastic game. But Penn State with James Franklin is here to stay, Joe. I just don't think they get to that level. I don't think they're a team that wins the big 10 for a second straight year. Well, I, I think they're going to be determined. I think they're going to be a confident football team heading into 2017. They started out 2-2, two and two, Rich, but that victory over Ohio State, call it what it was, it was a dramatic win, but it built I want to say confidence in this team, and they seem to overcome adversity the rest of the way, and against Wisconsin, they felt like they should have been in the Big Ten Championship game, and to carry through to the Rose Bowl, I mean, a disappointing Rose Bowl loss, in my mm-hmm. opinion, they should have won that game, but here's the thing, you brought up the offensive line over the last couple of years, prior to last year, with Trace McSorley, and that's where I want to go, because you, they had a quarterback that was a prototypical drop-back passer in Christian Hackenberg, and that offensive line allowed 44 and 39 sacks respectively when he was there in Happy Valley. And last year they cut it down considerably because of McSorley's reads, progressions, and mobility outside the pocket. And you're talking about a quarterback that really came on down the stretch, which, I mean, in the last four games of the season, he threw 13 touchdowns and only three interceptions. That's where I see him going in 2017. I think he could stretch some defenses vertically from the start of the year that'll carry through. What I really like about McSorley, Joe, you and I are historians of the game. You know, we, we think back to a day when you had mad bombers that really would, you know, stretch defenses. It wasn't all dinking and dunking, little passes in the flat. 
And I love the fact that McSorley is so proficient as a deep ball passer because every now and again he's going to take the top off the defense, and by doing that, it creates more room on underneath routes for Mike Gesicki, obviously creates a lot more room for the backs like Saquon Barkley. So Trace McSorley doesn't have a cannon for an arm. He's not the biggest quarterback in the Big Ten, but I love the way he could drop balls into coverage on deep balls. It completely changes the overall outlook of this offense. I think they'll be spectacular. I thought there was a shot that Moorhead was going to leave, go back to head coaching. He was the former head coach at Fordham before joining James Franklin's staff. But Franklin did a nice job of keeping Moorhead there for at least another season. And I think that offense is going to absolutely hum in 2017. I agree with you. I think out of both of these players, though, the, the inside edge is Barkley. If, if Penn State wins the Big Ten, it will be because of his running ability. And I think that's why he overshadows McSorley as a Heisman contender. I expect him to be there in New York. Another player that we need to talk about is LSU running back Darius Geis. I mean, You're talking about a guy that set an LSU school record in College Station, 285 rushing yards in that matchup, a dominating performance that overshadowed Leonard Fournette's performance of 284 in Baton Rouge against Ole Miss. I mean, this is a guy that had six 100-yard games, Rich, to over 1,300 yards and 18, uh, excuse me, 15 rushing touchdowns. I mean, LSU's success hinges on Geis' play, and I think he's a legitimate Heisman contender, and he's over 15 to 1. I mean, I cannot believe that. He's at 25 to 1 to start the year. Well, I, I, I think I think odds makers probably look at one thing when evaluating Geis. It's not his talent, which is spectacular. He did outplay Leonard Fournette, who was admittedly injured for, for parts of last season. Geis just runs angry. He runs with passion. He runs with intensity. I love watching him on film. But if I'm a, if I'm in Vegas and I'm setting the odds, I'm kind of okay with twenty five to one. You know why? At some point in the season, specifically November the 4th, LSU and Darius Geis will have to go to Tuscaloosa, and we know what happens to Heisman dreams when they get to Bryant-Denny Stadium. I mean, you, you know what the numbers were for Leonard Fournette. The tide was an absolute brick wall when they have to stop one player. I like Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator. I think he'll do good things with Danny Etling, the quarterback. But if you can't get past that Alabama defense, if Darius Geis's 19 carries for 33 yards, which is eminently possible, you could forget about the Heisman Trophy this year. I, I like him. I, I like them against Alabama. Now, I agree with you 100%. Alabama's dominated the series. Over the, uh, since 2011, Rich, they're they're six and zero over LSU and have won those games by 12.8 points per game. But I will say this about Darius Geis: six games he rushed for over 100 yards. One of them was Jacksonville State, so we're not even going to count that one. The other five against FBS opponents. They won those games by 26.6 points per game. They're undefeated every time he runs for over 100 yards last year. I, I'm telling you, I think Matt Canada is the difference. LSU does not fear mm. Alabama. And if somehow, some way, they pick up that victory in Tuscaloosa, you got to love Geis at 25 to 1. 
Yeah, but again, I mean, if I'm if I'm betting on his Heisman candidacy on solving Nick Saban and the Alabama defense, I'm probably going to hit the lever for no. I'm I'm probably not going to go for De- listen. Darius Geis is going to be possibly a first-round draft choice. He'll put up monster numbers this season. He'll be fantastic as the focal point. I don't think he wins the Heisman because of the fact that every voter is going to evaluate what, what happens in prime time on November the 4th. And again, I just think that the LSU offensive line, that passing attack, will not support Geis. I think that's where the Heisman dream ends for Darius Geis. In Love Tus- the player, don't like the candidacy. In Tuscaloosa. So then we'll, we'll turn our attention to another player that has an opportunity Week number one against the Crimson Tide, an Alabama team that has not lost a week one game since 2001. They've won 15 straight, Rich, by 25.4 points per game. But now comes DeAndre Francois and the Florida State Seminoles looking to really knock Alabama off its block. And if they get the victory week number one, this could be the Heisman frontrunner for 2017. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting take. I, I, I think if you want to gamble on DeAndre Francois at 15-1, to 1, you're putting a lot of eggs in that basket, which is I think this kid's going to take the next step from redshirt freshman to sophomore. I think he's going to be the focal point of the offense now that Dalvin Cook is no longer there. I think he's going to elevate those receivers like Alden Tate and Nyquan Murray, both of which I think have significant potential. I think that's a fair bet. Now, listen, it could crash and burn in week one, right? He could he could go three of 12 and, and absorb uh, an immense amount of punishment like he did last season. But if you catch lightning in a box, and Florida State pulls that upset, which I do not think is out of the realm of possibility. This is an outstanding uh, Florida State team, arguably one of the three or four best in the country. If Francois is the kid that leads that victory, then those 15 to 1 odds overnight are going to probably about be about 3 or 4 to 1. Well, there were three teams that threw for over 400 yards last year on the Crimson Tide secondary. It was Arkansas and Austin Allen. It was Deshaun Watson and Clemson. And it was Chad Kelly and Ole Miss, Rich. So when you look at week one quarterbacks, this, in my opinion, is the most lethal starting quarterback that Alabama's played week number one of the seasons under Nick Saban since he's been there. But we'll see how it plays plays out when we come back we'll be talking to big 10 analyst jerry dinardo keep it where it is this is joe lisi rich sermonello live from studio 34 fantasy sports radio network on college football today right here from studio 34 fantasy sports radio network joe lisi rich sermonello we were talking about penn state we're going to continue the conversation in the big 10 what better way to do that than with the big 10 college football analyst jerry denardo he's live on the fantasy sports celebrity guest line coach thanks for joining us today great to be with you joe and rich coach 
you you talk about Ohio State. Um, I, I projected them this year at eight and four overall. I think uh, when you look at their defensive concerns, Raquan McMillan gone, and those three starters from that secondary, I think are going to be a problem at the early part of the season. I know you had the opportunity to go to Columbus. Give me your thoughts about what you see from Urban Meyer and the crew in 2017. Well, we've been through 11 schools. We have three left, so everything I say uh, is based on that. Now, we haven't seen Purdue, Illinois, and Northwestern, so uh, you know some of this relates, some of it doesn't. But they're the most talented team in the conference depth-wise. Joe, you make a point, good point, that they have to replace some secondary guys. I, I don't necessarily see that as a major issue. I would say that the biggest challenge that Ohio State has in regard to winning the Big Ten Championship and the National Championship is quarterback play. And, you know, JT didn't have a great year last year. He's got to be better. If they get a tailback game going like they did when they won the National Championship with Ezekiel Elliott at tailback, that certainly would help them. But, Joe, Rich, I have to tell you, they're they're pretty good-looking team, to say the least. Coach, uh, it's Rich. Um Talk a little bit about Kevin Wilson and the impact that you think he'll have, former Indiana head coach, now the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. How can he impact JT in his final season in Columbus? You know, Rich, it's interesting. You know, Urban said to us, uh, this is the first veteran offensive coordinator I've ever hired. I mean, Tom Herman was just a guy at Iowa State five years ago, six years ago, whenever all this rocketed his career. And so... Part of the answer to your question is I think Urban's going to let him have some leeway. I think Kevin's real strength is the run game. I think he's extraordinary. When he was the head coach at Bloomington, people from all over the country would go to Bloomington to study his run game. I think the other part, Rich, is Ryan Day, who's the quarterback coach now and very much involved in the pass game, he's also going to help. So you have these two really high-quality, high-power offensive coaches, and they need the help. For them to win it all, they've got to find a way to look like the way they were last time they won it all when Ezekiel Elliott was their tailback. Now, obviously, they don't have Ezekiel, but they do have some people at tailback. So I think you'll see some different schemes, some different tempos, but he's certainly a stabilizing force in the offensive staff. Coach, when you look at Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, major losses on the defensive side of the ball. They lose 33 of the team's 46 total sacks or 71% from last year. But in my opinion, the biggest loss is outside linebacker Jabril Peppers that has moved on. His ability in terms of run support, especially at the line of scrimmage, is where I see this defense taking a little bit of a step back. Uh, They do have Rashawn Gary, but give me your thoughts about what you expect out of Michigan and Jim Harbaugh this season. Yeah, a little bit of an unpredictable team. They are talented. You know, I mean, we, we saw them up close in person just last week. You know, but they're a young team. Uh, they have some experience, more so than the stats say. I think it says there's one returning starter. That's true, but they have guys on their team on defense that have started games. They just weren't considered returning starters. You know, Joe, it's, it's, it's an intriguing story because – they have enough talent where if they have this kind of innocent climb where this young team gets together and they have good leadership and they fly kind of under the radar and they don't have the expectations of Penn State and Ohio State. So it could be a really fun team, uh, but it's, it's just too many unknowns. The one thing that is known is that they're very talented. How good is Spate going to be if he, if, he, if he does start? 
what's the defense going to look like with the new full-time starters. But certainly a fun team to watch and a really talented team. Hey, Coach, there's one name that I continue to hear. It's sort of percolating right now, and, and you've been to Nebraska. What did you see of Tanner Lee, the Tulane transfer quarterback? What did you see, and is he being overhyped a little bit at this point of the offseason? <laughs> That's great, Rich. You know, Mike Riley says, Mike says to me, you know, I love this team. Uh, I love my quarterback, and yet he's never taken a snap for Nebraska. And so we don't know if he's overhyped. I can tell you this. He's a big, tall, good-looking guy, strong. He can spin the heck out of the ball. Impressive at practice, his ball location. You know, some guys can find the open receiver and throw it to the open receiver. Other guys can do that and also put the ball where the tight end coming across the middle never has to break stride or the wide receiver going on a street route never has to break stride and yet the defender can't touch the ball. Tanner has that kind of ability. But, Rich, there's no doubt he's going to have some bumps in the road. And, you know, Mike Riley's, you know, pretty much an offensive guy and he'll get him through it and all that. I would say the only way you and I are going to know if he's overhyped is probably to watch the first five games. But there is a possibility. That this guy who's never taken a snap at Nebraska could be one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. Wow, that's intriguing. Coach, I, I want to talk about Mark D'Antonio. Uh, talk about Mark D'Antonio and Michigan State. They were disappointing 3-9 and nine last year. I mean, you can look at, uh, you know, sack totals. They only had 11 sacks. That was with Malik McDowell in that lineup. Uh, they were, you know, from 2013 to 2015, plus 46 in turnover margin. They were negative for the first time in 2009. Does this team have what it takes to get back to a bowl game in, in this season? Yeah, I don't think that I don't think there's any question, Joe. They can get back to a bowl game. It's how big a bowl and, and what the team looks like. Being at practice, watching them reminded me of the Mark D'Antonio teams that he had prior to being in the playoffs when they lost to Alabama. Journeyman like, uh, blue collar, workman like attitude, spirited group. Not probably as athletic. Not probably as deep as that team that went to the playoffs. But a Mark D'Antonio-type team, a team he enjoys coaching, a fun team, a spirited team. So when we saw him a year ago, before the 16th season, we had already seen Michigan and Ohio State. And the three of us on the desk said, you know what? There's not a great deal of talent difference between Michigan State, Ohio State, and Michigan. And then they win three games, they being Michigan State. You know what that means? It was a locker room issue. It was a morale issue. It was a captain issue. The election may have split the team like it split other groups around the country. There was a lot of things going on on that team that don't usually go on on Mark D'Antonio's teams. And those are the things that take on talent, being a good teammate, hustling, all those kind of intangible things. So he's got those back, I believe. Now, how much talent he has after he gets those back, if you're asking me, is it a six-win bowl team? Is it an eight-win bowl team? I don't think it's a playoff team. I don't think it's a conference championship team but I'd be shocked if it looks anything like last year. Hey, Coach, I'm going to show my hand here and say that I, I really like Wisconsin. It, it doesn't matter if it's Barry or Brett or now Paul Christ. You, you used words like workmanlike and blue-collar for Michigan State. That's what I think about with Wisconsin. They don't get the blue chippers, but they're always in the hunt. 
What do you think the Badgers need to do this season to kind of take that next step? They almost got there. They darn near should have won that Big Ten title last year. But what do they have to do this year to get over the hump for Paul? You know, I love Wisconsin. The only thing I don't like about Wisconsin is I got home 2 in the morning because they practiced last night. And by the time I got home, <laughs> it was 2. But, you know, they're better this year than they were last year. Their, their line of scrimmage. And, Rich, what you just asked me is almost the, the, one of the questions we ended the show with last night. But they're deeper at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball than they've been. Horny Brook has come along really well. Linebacker's fine. Fitchy got hurt. But here's, here's Wisconsin's challenge. First of all, they've probably separated themselves talent-wise from the rest of the West. I mean, that's how good they looked last night. I mean, they looked great physically last night. Now they had a scrimmage, and of course Paul was upset about a couple things here and there, like every coach is in the scrimmage. But here's their challenges. On offense, they have to keep Hornybrook healthy. There's no experience depth at quarterback. And when you're in this offense, you know, you, you, the pro offense, you better have a quarterback. Right now, they can come up at the line of scrimmage, Rich, on first and 10. If there's seven in the box, they can run it. If there's eight in the box, they can throw it. I mean, they're built beautifully. They're wide, young wide receivers, much better. They're, they're five deep at tailback. So my question on offense is second, third string quarterback. On defense, you know, the, the, the first secondary is good. The second, the second secondary has no experience. But here's the biggest question. Jim Leonard, 30-something years old. He's coached for two years, I think. He's the defensive coordinator. And it's the third defensive coordinator in three years. And I can tell you, from I was like his age when I became a coordinator. In fact, I think I was 28 when I was coordinator at Eastern Michigan before I went to Colorado. There's a learning curve there. There's a lot to learn. I would expect this, Rich, early in the season, I expect the other offense, whoever Wisconsin's playing, to be stemming and motioning and giving Jim Leonard a hundred different formations and, and, and the, the tempo being a hundred miles an hour. People are going to test this young defensive coordinator. And so that's where I am. I love the team. They looked great last night. You better keep Horny Brook healthy. And Jim Leonard, he's going to have to grow up really fast. Coach, uh, I want to talk about Kirk Ferentz in Iowa. They get the addition of Nevada leading rusher James Butler that comes over to complement Akram Wadley. What do you see out of this team with new quarterback Nathan Stanley? Yeah, everything's good, uh, except, you know, they have to sell on the quarterback. I'm not sure it's going to be Stanley unless they announced it, and, and I missed it. But it, it, it's going to be Uyghurs or Stanley. So that's a question, Joe. Uh, they're a little bit better at wide receiver. So I would say to you, Iowa is built, you know, very much like Wisconsin, except the pass game isn't like Wisconsin's because Wisconsin has a veteran quarterback and they've started to build some depth on the perimeter. They're not quite as good on defense, but they're pretty solid on defense. So the biggest question for Iowa is if they do load the box because they're in a pro formation, they're not a spread team, will Iowa be able to throw the ball? And so... To me, that's the biggest question. Other than that, it's going to be a pretty typical Iowa team. They're built at the line of scrimmage. They're consistent on both sides. But at some point, when you line up with the quarterback underneath the center and you get outnumbered in the box, you have to be able to throw the ball, and I'm not sure they can do that. Coach, it's always a pleasure. We thank you for joining us today. Great information. We'd love to get you on throughout the year. Anytime, Joe. Rich, thanks for having me. Thanks, Coach. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
Back on college football today, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, talking a little Big Ten with Big Ten analyst Jerry DiNardo. Rich, that was great, great information from Coach because he was at each and every practice over the last few weeks. And to get that insight from him, I mean, he's still got three teams to go to. But the most intriguing breakdown that I heard was the defense of Wisconsin. In Jerry's opinion, he thinks they could struggle, especially with a new coordinator in Jim Leonard, who was a former player there. It's funny. I had the same exact take, and man, I love talking to coaches or analysts who are actually at practices, particularly this time of year, because spring doesn't really give you a fair representation. A lot of players who will play during the season, Joe, as you know, they're not 100%. They're not fielding contact in March and April, but now is go time. So for the coach who has been around the game for his entire life to be at these Big Ten practices evaluating talent is such an amazing resource for us and for our audience. And yeah, the Leonard thing, I I think a lot of times we feel like coaches are plug and play. You know, Wisconsin has done so well at the defensive coordinator position, whether it's been a Dave Aranda, Justin Wilcox, uh, now it's Jim Leonard, but Jim is very young. I also love the way Jerry DiNardo sort of drew a parallel to Jim Leonard at this stage of his career versus his own going back to those EMU days. So some fascinating takes from Jerry DiNardo. Yeah, great information. He did bring up that Iowa did not name a starter, but in my opinion, from what I'm reading, Mm -hmm. Nathan Stanley sure looks like the Hawkeyes quarterback. That's coming from the Iowa Gazette, the local paper. So even though they haven't Mm -hmm. really named a starter, I mean, he's the guy with the experience. And you're talking about a team with a lack of outside playmaking. So they need an experienced quarterback. Now he's got, you know, James Butler and Wadley in that backfield. Look for Butler to be utilized in the short to intermediate passing game, possibly on screens, because you could look at Ferentz's offense over the last few years. He always wants fresh legs in the backfield at all times because their offense is predicated on pounding the rock. Yeah, and again, another uh, good point from Coach DiNardo, which is, you know, you could run the ball consistently against some teams on the schedule. They open with Wyoming. They're going to want to play keep away from Josh Allen, the Cowboy quarterback. So that's where you'll see that heavy dose of Butler and Wadley. I like your point, Joe, in terms of, you know, you've got two talented backs. Only one can touch it or only one's going to be in the backfield at a time. So I can see that offensive staff moving a Butler or a Wadley out to slot a little bit, using them in the passing game, because, yeah, Matt Vandenberg is back from last year's foot injury, but he's had so many injury problems. I don't like that receiving core, and if you can't balance off the running game with some kind of suspense, some kind of contributions from the passing game, when you face better defenses on the schedule... Iowa's going to have a lot of those games where they struggle to reach the 20s in terms of points scored. Yeah, I think this team is a 6-6 six and six team overall because of what you mentioned in terms of their lack of explosiveness. The year that they made it 
uh, to the Big Ten championship game. They did not play Michigan or Michigan State or Ohio State that year, and that was a main reason why they were able to run the table. But you look at that year that they made it and lost to Michigan State in the Big Ten championship game. They had guys like Jordan Kanzari. They had uh, LaShawn Daniels there, and they did have Wadley. So they were always able to have fresh legs in there. And Kanzari was utilized in the screen game in a big way. So you have to keep an eye out for this team in terms of that progression throughout the year, and we'll see how it plays out. Rich, I I will say this about the Big Ten overall. I think from top to bottom, we're starting to see the residual effects from 2014 to where you see Ohio State's national championship over Oregon. We're starting to see the bottom teams start to creep up. I mean, when you look at a team like Minnesota and P.J. Fleck, I mean, if this team had Tracy Clays as head coach, this could be one of the teams that you have to keep an eye out for for 2017. Now, with the transition, I'm not so sure. So you're thinking that they slip a little bit because you have a new staff? Is that the take? Yeah, I mean, you're going to go from a ball control offensive attack in, in Tracy Clays and what they were able to do last year with Rodney Smith and Mitch Leidner, and now you're going to spread them out. You have an offense that only passed for nine touchdowns in the 2016 season. He's going to want to spread them out, and then that'll have an effect on the defensive front seven for being out there for multiple plays with the up-tempo attack. Yeah, listen, I, I think there's enough talent in the running game, not just Rodney Smith, but Shannon Brooks. You have a nice one-two punch. Minnesota traditionally has done a good job of running it between the tackles. I think that should be their take this season. You have some defensive talent led by Steven Richardson on the defensive interior. But I think when you have a new staff, if your take is that there's going to be a transition period and Minnesota is sort of looking ahead more towards 2018, I would agree when you bring in a PJ, think about the personality change, forget system wise, forget X's and O's. The personality difference from a, an understated, somewhat muted Tracy Clay's uh, to the in-your-face, electrifying, row-the-boat P.J. Fleck. <laughs> so I think that's something – I think it's a positive. I think that is an undeniable positive. I think it'll impact recruiting. It'll impact ticket sales. I think people in Minnesota will be excited about go for football. But that kind of a transition doesn't happen overnight. So I think good days are ahead for the Golden Gophers. Just get to a bowl game. If you can have P.J. Fleck and the new coordinators, the new staff coaching these kids, in December. I think that's a sign of success for this program. You have to get back to the days of Billy Cockerham and Thomas Hamner and Tutu Atwell back in the day, Rich. I mean, that was the rich I Minnesota. think I had Hamner in an early... I had Hamner in an early fantasy college football league. How about that for dating myself? <laughs> oh, the fans in Happy Valley remember Thomas Hamner. I can tell you that in, the, in that upset victory over LeVar Arrington in Happy Valley. He was a main reason why they were able to pull that victory out. But we'll continue with the Heisman Trophy talk. I mean, a, a guy that we haven't mentioned will switch gears to the Big 12 is Mason Rudolph and Oklahoma State. I mean, this guy at 20-1 to 1 is my pick. To be in New York at the end of the year, I mean, I think he's got two of the best wide receivers in college football in James Washington and Jalen McCleskey. They also have running back Justice Hill. This is going to be one of the most lethal offenses in college football. And if you're telling me I could pick him up at 20 to 1, I'm buying as much as I can on Mason Rudolph.
I, I have absolutely no argument with you whatsoever. I, I, I think uh, it's sort of, I give in the state, Joe, I give a little bit of an edge to Baker Mayfield because he's been there, done that, has more name recognition. But Mason Rudolph is a legitimate next-level quarterback. You already talked about the receivers, so I won't belabor that point. They are going to be at or above 40 points, I think, just about every weekend of the season. So he's going to have the numbers. Non-conference schedule, Tulsa at South Alabama, uh, at Pittsburgh, and a very flimsy uh, defensive secondary for the Panthers. So he is going to light it up. His candidacy will come down to Bedlam. On November the 4th, head-to-head with Baker Mayfield, and then I believe the Big 12 championship game, because I think it could be a rematch of Bedlam a month later uh, when it's the Sooners and the Cowboys going for a Big 12 title. So I'm with you. I think Mason Rudolph has a legitimate shot at a minimum of being in New York City, possibly winning the whole thing. Well, I do want to bring up his wide receiver, James Washington, Rich, because he started out at 80 to 1. He's up to 100 to 1. And I can't figure that out for any life of me when you well, look at some of the people in front of him. I mean, they have Justin Herbert of Oregon at 101. They have mm-hmm. Deshaun Hand, uh, Deshaun Hand at Alabama, 100 to 1. And you wouldn't pick up yeah. James Washington or even Christian Kirk at that level? I mean, Mike mm-hmm. Weber at 60-1, to 1, Miles Gaskin as well. I mean, Royce Freeman, you wouldn't pick up. I mean, that's I'm mind-boggled by that. He's the best player. Well, I would take Freeman. I would take Freeman over Washington. I, the, the problem I have with Washington is twofold. Number one, he's not 100%. So if I'm putting money on Washington, I'm watching every weekend to see if that hernia flares up. That would make me concerned. I want somebody who's fully healthy. That is the problem that I have. And number two is he he has someone on his own team who is going to take votes away from him. That's a big concern. Now, last year we had a similar situation, right, with D.D. Westbrook and Baker Mayfield both uh, finishing in the top five, both going to New York City. So it's it wouldn't be unprecedented. But I think when you have that quarterback on your own team, I'd have a hard time putting money on the wide receiver. I'd rather shift some of that cash uh, over to Mason Rudolph. Not sure if James Washington is going to gain enough attention to finish in the top 10. Well, how about this guy? How about Calvin Ridley and Alabama at 100-1? to If Alabama has success uh, this year, it will be either Jalen Hurts, who we haven't mentioned, or... Mm -hmm. Calvin Ridley. I mean, I don't think Bo Scarborough, in terms of his production, only 800 yards. Uh, he's going to split uh, carries with Damian Harris and Najee Harris in the backfield. But Calvin Ridley will be Hertz's go-to guy this year. And at 100-1, to 1, I think he's a legitimate chance to win the Heisman Trophy. I'd pick him up right here. But when we come back, we'll talk about some of the other players before turning our attention to the games of the year. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermon live from New York, Studio 34. Back on College Football Today, talking about the 2017 Heisman Trophy. Rich, we talked about some Big Ten players, we talked about some Big 12 players, but I'm going to talk about a player that's not on the list 
at least from what I can see, you would consider him part of the field. You know who led the Big Ten last year, Rich? Justin Jackson from Northwestern, and nobody seems to be talking about this guy. Interesting. I I think you and I both like Northwestern. I I think they have a legitimate shot of winning a wide-open Big Ten West. I know Wisconsin is the favorite, but I like what Pat Fitzgerald has done. Uh, Justin Jackson on the brink of becoming the all-time leading rusher in Wildcat history. Uh, Has a very good quarterback to compliment him. Uh, I think uh, an NFL-caliber quarterback in Clayton Thorson. They're going to need some help at wide receiver, but I I think if you want to look in terms of deep sleeper, really good value, uh, I'm with you, Justin Jackson. I, I, I think he'd have a shot of making some noise if Northwestern can really climb into that Big Ten race. And that's where I was going. They were 7-6 and six last year. I think they're going to have to get to the Big Ten championship game. If they were to do that mm-hmm. and face a team like either Ohio State, Michigan, or my pick, Penn State, I think he could have that Heisman moment, and he could be a sleeper in the field. I will say this. We talked about Lamar Jackson needing to run the table, a player that I'm shocked at in terms of where he is. 80 to 1, Quinton Flowers from South Florida. We spoke about it in the preview last year, uh, last week. Rich, this is a guy that threw 24 touchdown passes last year, rushed for over 1,500 yards, and 18 rushing touchdowns. They have the potential to be 12 and 0, and he's at 80 to 1 right now in Vegas for the 2017 Heisman. I just can't figure it out. Well, I mean, listen, this this would be my take, Joe. Um, I get it. Uh, know him well. Uh, the numbers will be there. Charlie Strong, first season, could run the table. But I think there's a hard ceiling as to how high. If you legitimately want to win money, not just be in the race all year long, Quentin Flowers is not winning the Heisman. And here's the reason why. We all talk about Heisman moments. Do you show up big in those big games? Where's the big game on the schedule? I mean, the numbers will be pristine. They could go 12-0. and They're not getting to the playoff. But you're not getting a Heisman moment in the AAC. The non-conference schedule is at San, Jose, at San Jose State next Saturday, Stony Brook, and Illinois. And Illinois, yeah, a Big Ten team. That's not going to get it done. So I, I think he could be top 10. Wouldn't be surprised at all if he you know gets enough votes to finish 7th or 8th. I don't think he gets to New York City, though. Well, here's the thing, though. If, if you have a mediocre year where there's parity in college football, there's two lost teams throughout, and Charlie Strong and USF are 12-0, and and he puts up Lamar Jackson numbers, 51 total touchdowns. He leads his team. They go to a championship game. Yeah, I don't know, Rich. I don't know. There's the possibility. That's what I'm saying. There is the possibility when you look at parity in college football from top to bottom. There's not one team, including Alabama, that can't lose one or two games throughout the year or even three like I picked each and every Saturday. So with that in mind, he'd be great value at 80 to one. Hmm. I'll give you some value. I'm going to give you three players I'd like your take on real quick. They're all... Uh, they're all uh, 40 to 1 or better. So if you're looking good value for your money, here are my names. Luke Falk, quarterback at Washington State. You and I both like the Cougars. Think they could be sneaky good out of the Pac-12 North. Numbers, no problem. He'll get the numbers in that air raid system from Mike Leach. Number two, 
At 50-1, to Derwin James. If you want to go by the letter of the law, we talked a little bit earlier about Saquon Barkley, top 10 players in the country. Derwin James is one of the top 10 players in the country now that he's healthy. If voters take a very literal viewpoint of who the best player in college football is, Derwin James of Florida State has a shot. And finally, just kind of winging it here. Notre Dame quarterback Brandon Winbush at 60 to 1. We have no idea how good he'll be, but what if he's a rock star in his first season running Brian Kelly? We'll be talking about that on the back end. Keep it where it is. Joe Easy, Rich Sermonello, talking Heisman, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.